hey, welcome. You got a little peek at me, and I got a little peek at you from around the back. Sorry about that. Anyway, welcome to the show tonight. My name is Charlotte. I'm going to be your host for the next hour or so. And I've got a great show put together for you. I think you're going to like this one. Anyway, I am the owner and operator of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento. We're located up and down the state of California and Morgan, Washington, and some people in Hawaii even. And Nevada. Anyway, uh, we're at www.californiahaunts.org. The California Haunts Radio website is www.californiahauntsradio.com. A lot of California haunts there. Anyway, welcome, and uh, we got a, like I said, we have a great show for you tonight. This uh, lady that we have on tonight, Suzanne, uh, worked with a, worked with a medium um, and did some channeling with Thomas Jefferson. That's right, the Thomas Jefferson, President Thomas Jefferson, and she wrote a book about it. And it's very interesting. She asked him some pointed questions about, you know, what's going, you know, how he feels about the current, the current political climate and, uh, other stuff, and so we're going to talk about that tonight. I, I read, I got a chance to read the book the, over the last couple of days, and it's it's a fascinating read. It, you know, if, if it was in fact Thomas Jefferson, then he is more in touch than you would probably think from the other side. So it's really exciting. You know, it's really kind of cool read, especially like I said, if it is, it is in fact Thomas Jefferson, then wow, because there's some really really good info in in this book. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to bring her on, Suzanne Morton. I'm sorry, Suzanne, I apologize. Suzanne Munson. I'm horrible with names. I'm thinking about something this morning. Suzanne Munson, folks. Hello. Hi, Charlotte. Sorry about watching the name there. I don't know what I was thinking. It's okay. <laughs> so welcome to the show. I read the book. Oh, my gosh. What an eye-opener. It really is. Uh Every session, I had eight sessions with the entity presenting as Thomas Jefferson. And uh, it was like a box of chocolates. You never knew exactly what you were going to get uh, with each question. Wow. He, it's, it's, just, it's just striking. I mean, I do this to help people, you know, in their homes and stuff. But it's, it's just striking how much he knows you know, about what's going on currently. Absolutely. Uh, I was very surprised by that. I used to, I've always had a high regard for Thomas Jefferson. I'm a Virginian and I have connections to the University of Virginia. And I've read a lot of books about Thomas Jefferson. And I always wondered about the real person behind the facade. And um, so the, the words that came through, I didn't hear his voice. The medium heard his voice. Uh, but the words that came through were fairly modern. Although he used a lot of nature analogies that I thought were more appropriate to the 18th century. But he used words like ego, you know, that are quite modern and uh, in connection with the founding fathers and today's politicians and so on. And um, yeah, and he's very much in tune with, I'm sorry, with, um, with the disenfranchisement of women as well as people of color. And that surprised me as well. I saw that too. I just thought it was fascinating, like he, like like when you talk about him using modern um, words for stuff, it, it, it just struck me as funny because some of the stuff he even used the word internet, you know, and it just, it's just that's right. Me, it just struck me as funny because obviously, yeah. you know, um, he's standing there watching everybody and, and seeing what everything's doing. And who knows? Maybe he's tapping on a computer somewhere trying to figure out what it does. For all we know, that's right. Um, yeah, I was I was very surprised about that. So tell everybody how you came about to write this book, and I'll go ahead and show. I'll, I'll show everybody the book cover. Well, I, I think it all began with uh, there's the cover. It says the metaphysical Thomas Jefferson, uh, medium channels the founding father. I I didn't have the medium on the cover initially. Um, I just had um, words for the present or something like that. But I had to make it very clear what the book was about, that it wasn't another biography of Thomas Jefferson written by a, an historian, and uh, that this was clearly something different. So the readings were by medium Jana Anna uh, with me, Suzanne Munson. 
And so I guess you could say that this journey that I've been on started um, in 2013 with the death of my husband, Ned. And um, I, uh, he left and uh, I wasn't getting any signals. Sometimes people get signals from the departed, little signs mm -hmm. and so on, but I was getting nothing. And so I'd go outdoors and I would say, where are you? You know, I'd look at the stars and nothing. So, um, I went to a writer's retreat. I was working on a, on a very serious work of history, a, a book about Thomas Jefferson's teacher, George Wythe. And I was at a writer's retreat, and one of the writers was a, an amateur medium, and she had written a book called Friends in High Places. And I thought, well, that was kind of amusing because it was about ghosts and ghost busting and mediumship and so on. So I asked her if she could channel my late husband. And she said she thought she could. So she went in her room and um, I just gave her his name. I didn't describe him at all. And she came back with some notes about a half hour later. And she you know, said she'd had a conversation with him and she described him perfectly and she'd never met him. And I hadn't talked about him. And then after that, I went to a meeting uh, with a speaker, Irene Kendig, who had written a book called Conversations with Jerry and others I thought who were dead. And this was an award-winning book about the medium that I eventually used, Jenna Anna. And um, the book won lots of awards, national and international awards, with the seven readings that the medium had done for her. And so I thought, well, if, if that medium is is that credible, you know, to be the subject of a, an award-winning book, then maybe I can have um, some confidence if I call her. So I called her and uh, we arranged an appointment and I had many, many sessions with my late husband and with others, my, my parents and others. And eventually I got some of my friends in on it. So I didn't want to be the Lone Ranger. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, there were three of us who were best friends. And so one, one of us departed recently. And so I had my other friend over and we, we communicated with her through this medium, Jenna Anna. And um, so then the thought occurred to me, well, if I can talk to normal people, mm -hmm. if I can access normal people, why not someone famous? Because I'd already written about Thomas Jefferson in the first book. The book was called Jefferson's Godfather. It was about his mentor, George Wythe. So I knew a lot about his childhood and um, about how his personality was formed. And so this book, in a sense, is a follow-up to that earlier book. And um, so what I did was I thought, well, maybe I'll engage some historians in this project, but I won't exactly tell them precisely what I'm doing. <laughs> so... Um, I said that I had taught at the college level about Thomas Jefferson, and I was planning a class project. If you could talk with Thomas Jefferson today, what questions would you ask? So I emailed, I found the emails of recent authors of Jefferson books. And, um, oh, I think I probably communicated, sent emails to about 10 or 12 of them, eight respond, eight were kind enough to respond. And they said, they gave me a bunch of really interesting, really good questions. And I had some of my own. And those questions formed the basis of the book. I, uh, it just, the whole book is fascinating. You know, once you start getting into it and you see the questions and you see, you see his answers, it, it, it's just, it's riveting. You don't want to put the book down. That's right. You know, because it's so it's so riveting, and I couldn't help but you know, in the timing of of, the, of asking about the you know the, the 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 current state of the government, and I was sitting there as I was reading it, and I thought, gee, I wonder when she did this interview, you know, when this interview went down, and then when you said when when it's written, and when it went down, I was like, wow, you know, it was the channeling started a year ago in March during COVID. It was a COVID project, and it went through the summer of 2020. But his observations are not confined to one administration or another. Right. right. They are, um, his 
his criticisms of government cover decades, generations. And um, what did you think when you first started get, getting information? I mean, you had to verify it somehow, correct? Well, I, it ha the words had to be wise, and I thought they were wise. And uh, I, I was puzzled a little bit by the modern terminology that he used from time to time. Right, right. Um, and I actually used to have a fantasy. Uh, I've always been fascinated by Jefferson, and I really did have this fantasy that it would really be fun to dig him up from his 1826 rustic place and put him in my car and drive him around the University of Virginia so that he could see, you know, hey, there are women there, there are people of color there, there are people from China, Africa, all over the world, you know, aren't you excited about this? But as a matter of fact, he knows a whole lot more about the University of Virginia and what's going on there than I do. Uh, and, uh, you know, what I have learned is that spirits are mobile, you know, they are, they're around. They can go anywhere they want to. They're not sitting on a pink cloud playing a harp. <laughs> <laughs> and naturally he would be, he was dedicated to giving Americans the best government possible, the, the best government that had ever been conceived mm -hmm. on this planet. And, um, and he wanted that government to endure. And so he's very concerned about the, um, the greed and the uh, corruption that we see in government now. What else can you tell you about the current government? You know, the, what's going on with the government? Not to give it all away, because obviously we want people to read the book. Hmm. Well, he said that uh, power and money have corroded the system. We all know that. Right. Um, he said it's, it's very easy to for the new representatives who go into Congress to, uh, well, they all come in wanting to serve their country. Most of them do. But after a while, the money starts enlarging their bank accounts and they become beholden to the big special interests and mm -hmm. uh, less accountable to the people who elected them. And so he's very concerned about the big money in politics. He's very concerned about the lack of a sense of public service mm -hmm. on the count of, of our public servants, people who are supposed to be our public servants, are instead serving themselves, feathering their own nests. And um, it's very rare for a politician to leave Washington poorer than, than he came. And... Um, but he, he does have some hope. He said some of the newer people who are coming in are really working hard to create reforms. Mm -hmm. And he says he actually whispers in their ear, in their ears to try to remind them of their oaths or oaths of office that they took. And um, I thought that was interesting. That, But he said if you could walk the halls of power, the halls that he considered sacred in Washington, you would be amazed by the confusion there that's reigning. And, wow, that's that's absolutely fascinating. Now, when you talk about uh, the politicians going in, you know, not coming out poor, he ended up poor, well, not poor, but you know what I mean? He, he ended up not as wealthy as people would think, right? That's correct. He... Um, and there were a lot of reasons for that. He spent a lot of time in public service. Mm -hmm. And he references that, that they were not um, paid for their service as, as, as the politicians are today. And um, he, people would visit Monticello when he would have to entertain them for a week or two because, you know, they would stay there as guests because the travel was so difficult. And um, his farming operations due to weather conditions and market conditions, didn't work out the way he had hoped that they would, although he was a good farmer. Mm -hmm. He inherited a lot of debts, some he didn't need to uh, take on. His, he took on his wife's father's debts. And uh, as a man of honor, he thought they should have been paid off. And he made some bad loans to individuals. So he died, actually he died poor and um Monticello had to be sold out of the family. And that's a whole different story. 
what happened to Monticello. Whoa, 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 yeah. And then what I thought was funny reading through there, I'm going to skip around a little bit here. Like I said, I don't want to give away the whole book because you guys need to go buy it and check it out. But uh, his description of Ben Franklin really struck me funny because I have been around, I've grown up around geniuses like, like Ben Franklin, and they're just as he described. Yes. Uh, he said that Ben Franklin would, would go off on little tangents and um, and they would have to bring him back to these serious discussions that they that the founding fathers were involved in. But he said that Franklin had a wonderful sense of humor, and that would help the discussion when things were getting too serious. He would add a little levity to it, and he that he had a good heart. He called him spacey at times. <laughs> yeah, he said it was a little spacey. Yeah. That's, that's what struck me funny because the people that I've known over the years like that, and it's like, because they're so smart, it seems like the lights are on in the smart spots, and then there's other spots where the lights are kind of dim. That's just, right. And when he said that, when, you know, when that was in there about Ben Franklin, I just I, I was just rolling laughing. Just laughing. Yeah. Um, yeah. For a man like Jefferson... I mean, obviously, he, he's well-spoken, well-educated, very intelligent, shockingly intelligent, considering it was from the 18, you know, the 1800s when he was president. It's just, it's just so interesting to me that he has kept up with everything and followed everything, like, like he has. Yes. He's very concerned about freedom of the press, and when I say press, the media. Mm -hmm. I did ask him about the media and uh, being complicit in some of the problems that we have now in our country, in our government. And, um, and, and he was very much aware of the Internet. He said that we've lost a lot of our freedoms, that the media has been bought out by corporations mm -hmm. who have uh, their own agenda and that there are still a few independent reporters now who will root out the truth do the investigative reporting, but not as many as we used to have. And of course we have newspapers folding every week practically right. in this country. Uh, and he said, and this I thought was pretty interesting. He said the internet, that um, kind of dark forces are trying to control the media and they were trying to control the internet, but that's gotten away from them. And I thought that was interesting that he knew you know, had something to say about the internet. Um, but he said that, that the truth will out, as Shakespeare said, I think. Um, and uh, he said that the truth will, has a way of coming out, no matter what. Mm -hmm. It will find a way. Mm -hmm. Now, he had a very interesting life, too, um, from what I've read in there. And uh, his wife died... Uh, very, very. I'm not going to say early in the marriage, but I mean, she she wasn't very old. No. And that he had made a pact with her to not be with anybody else. That's correct. She uh, had been raised by stepmothers, and she did not want her children to be raised by stepmother. She'd had apparently had had some bad experiences, and so she made him promise on her deathbed uh, that he would not remarry and, it, and he was a relatively young relatively young man at the time I think he was 39 something like that and um, so he he was a red-blooded man and you know he but he never married he had some relationships but he didn't marry um now talk about his relationships obviously um I mean it, it, it's it's fairly well known in history that he had a relationship with with a uh, mulatto woman, right? Yes. Um, well, that was a big scandal during uh, his political career. There was a, a, a man who had been employed by Jefferson, but and he wanted Jefferson to give him a government job, and he didn't get it. And so he uh, decided that he would uh, write uh, some articles about Jefferson's relationship with a slave woman at Monticello. And her name was Sally Hemings. And so that was quite the scandal during Jefferson's day. And then the story kind of went away over the generations till it was brought back to light 
by uh, in the 70s, I think, by uh, a writer named Fawn Brody. And so she wrote about Jefferson's relationship with this woman, Sally Hemings. Very interesting relationship. Sally was his wife's half-sister. Of course, back in plantation days, all kinds of things went on. And so they had the same father. And Sally was um, also had a white grandfather, a ship captain. And so she was um, three-quarters white and was very, very beautiful. Mm-hmm. So the people said who, who were recorded at the time. And um, so the descendants of Thomas Jefferson had a hard time uh, acknowledging that some of her children might have been fathered by Jefferson, but the people at Monticello um, did some DNA testing, had some done by professionals, and they found that at least one of Sally Hemings' children was a, was a descendant of Thomas Jefferson and possibly others. And um, so Sally is part of the picture, and we had to ask about her because um, the story would not be complete without that, because Jefferson's um, history as a slave owner really has eclipsed a lot of the the other things that he did that were wonderful for the country. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, we should dwell on, on why he didn't free his slaves. And, and I have that, some of that in the book. There sure. were a number of reasons. You know, he should have, but he didn't. And, uh, and, and finances had everything to do with it. And so um, Sally was freed after he died. Uh, and uh, that's another story. She, things were very difficult for freed slaves in the early 1800s. They had to leave the state of Virginia, leave everything they loved here. And so for that reason, she, uh, she was unofficially freed and by uh, Jefferson's daughter. But um, so, so I asked Jefferson about it. He was very cagey about it. He didn't really want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. He said that he had run that story in his head many, many times. And that Sally was much bigger uh, than the person who had lived in the flesh at that time. That her soul was far greater than that that he had a very high regard for Sally and that they had a, a very loving, important private relationship and he respected her, but that for reasons, for political reasons, he could not acknowledge her publicly because he was a product of his times right. and that would, and the acknowledgement would be detrimental to a lot of the other things that he was trying to achieve at the time. And, but he said he was a weak man, you know, knowing what he knows now, he, he could have done better, but he was very much a product of his time. Interesting. Because, um, yeah, later on in the book, you also write about him, um, his stance on uh, slavery that he ended up having a different stance later about it. Yet he had had slaves. That's right. He was brought up in a culture. Um, he was taught from from very early time that that slaves were in their proper place in the order of things, and that you should be a good master. But they were better off under a good master than they would be free with no education, and um, um, on the economy and not doing well, and mm-hmm. so. Um, and of course, he and I go into this in the book. He had his justifications for it at the time, but he said if he had been born today, obviously he'd have totally different look, outlook on things. He would be a product of our times, and he'd be, right. you know, quite liberal about, on the subject of race. Right. So I asked no. him if he if he were happy if that people of color had finally become admitted to University of Virginia, the school that he founded. And actually, the first black male was admitted there before the, before the first white female was, by some years. Um, and um, 
he said he was was very happy uh, now that the university was inclusive. He was happy about that. Um, now, when you talked about the historians um, and working with them, did did they know that you were working with a medium at all? They did not. They thought it was a class project. <laughs> okay. They would not have participated at I, all. Yeah, I was going to sure. say. No. So, so you had them ask questions as if Jefferson were alive, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. That's fascinating. And a lot of their questions were great. They were excellent. Really, I mean, really, 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 really great. Um, tell us about the, the designing of the Declaration of Independence a little bit. Well, I included the Declaration in the, in the book. It's in the back of the book. Mm-hmm. Because Jefferson said that he, um, well, somebody, one of the questions was, would you change the declaration if you were rewriting it? And he said, um, not really. He said, people were quibbling about words in the beginning, like all men are created equal. Uh, you know, possibly he would change that to all people are created equal. But then he said that, that that was quibbling and basically the medium said he made a raspberry noise (laughs) (laughs) about that, that there were far more important things in the declaration to think about than that wording. Now he also felt, this is not to interrupt. He also mm -hmm. felt that a lot of the politicians of today should, should, should reread it. Yes. He, he says that they should sit down with the founding doc documents they should sit down and actually read the Declaration of Independence, not just wave it on July 4th, um, but take it out of the closet and read it. Take it off the bookshelf and read it. The same with the Constitution. We sometimes wonder if some of our politicians have ever read the Constitution. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, Jefferson's uh, connection to the, to, uh, to the college, what was that? Well, that was his last great achievement and probably the achievement that he was most proud of. He um, listed three lifetime accomplishments on his tombstone. He only wanted three, no more. Didn't want president of the United States or ambassador to France or any of those things. Um, He wanted uh, author of the Declaration of Independence, author of the Virginia Statute for Religious Freedom, and I have a chapter on religion, Uh, That was America's first religious liberty law. And then the third was father of the University of Virginia. And he spent the last 20 years of his life uh, designing the university, not just the buildings, but the curriculum, everything about it, from what foods the students would eat to where they slept, what the classrooms would look like. And it's uh, what he achieved there is is a world heritage site. Mm -hmm. It's a one of the most beautiful campuses, or they call it the grounds, in in the world. And um, the architecture is um, itself is a lesson the, in, in architecture and um, with the Greek columns and so on. And anyway, it was, one, it was a, an achievement toward the end of his life that he was extremely proud of. He's such a fascinating man. You know, I never... Um... I've always been a fan of, of, of Abraham Lincoln. I'll be honest about that. And so I've read everything I get my hands on, you know, about Lincoln. So I've never really read a lot about Jefferson. But what I what ha, what, what I have read in this book makes me want to read more and learn more about him because he's so well well read, you know, and he's so intelligent. It's, yes. not, it's, not, it's not what I expected, to be honest. I'm not saying that he would have been dumb. I'm just saying... Like you say, he would be thinking like like the 1800s, but he doesn't. He think he thinks like like, like somebody today in office, or, or right. if, he, if he were president. You know, he looks at he looks at that from, from that perspective. And you even asked him about being president, right? If he were president, yes, I did. Um, well, I was getting such doom and gloom from him. <laughs> I said, um, "Can't you say something positive?" I said, "Is there any hope for this country?" Um, and so he said, um, yes. Um, and I said, well, what would you do if you were president? Or what would you do if you were a member of Congress? 
I put him on the spot because I had to end the book with something positive. It right. just couldn't all be negative. Right. And um, so he said that he would not come in as president if he could come in now take in physical form, that he would not get much accomplished because he'd have too much opposition in Congress, that he would start first as a, uh, a member of Congress, and he wouldn't get much done now either uh, with the way things are, but he would have to form or be part of what he called a circle of integrity. Mm -hmm. And he would gather around him people with integrity who had the best interest of the, of the country in mind rather than their self-interest. Mm -hmm. And that they would try to enlarge the circle and as the circle enlarged, they would be able to vote in the reforms that he would like to see. But right now, um, those circles have not been fully formed. I think there are a few people up there who do have integrity and who are serving the people. I can think of one in particular. I, I think my congresswoman is one of those. But... Um, what I'd like to, for people to do is to buy my book and read it yes. and then send a copy to your congressperson. Absolutely. I really think those people need to read this book. I agree with that hundred percent. I, I can think of about four or five off the top of my head that, that, that would, that would greatly benefit by, by reading this book. Yes. You know, because he's very wise, especially he's wise to stuff that's happening now. Now, when we talk about the gloom and doom, we don't want to dwell on that because you know, there's so much gloom and doom going on right now anyway. Um, he did talk about a revolution. Yes, he famously said that every every generation or so there should be a revolution. And people took that to mean a, a bloody revolution. But he said we need an, he said we need a rev revolution now, but not the bloody type. We need a revolution of integrity. That's what he's calling for. My father always said that um, we, we that the United States was, was right for, uh, for another revolution. That he could see it, that, that, that you know he, he could see it coming with, with the way the climate was, and I, my dad's been pretty right. It's kind, of, it's kind of you know weird how how when you look back on your parents, <laughs> because because when you're young you laugh, ha ha ha. But then you realize as you get older that they were right, you know. And so with everything that's going on now, I agree. You know, there, there's big changes coming and. It just depends on how, on how the changes are. I hope it's peaceful, like like President Jefferson says. I really do. I hope you know. I hope it stays peaceful, but you never know with the climate. But something's got to give at this point. Yeah. You know. Yes. Um, well, we have to hope for the best. Uh, and so I'm trying to do my part. You know, this is this is why I. I won't say I wrote the book, but this right. is why I published the book. Right. Because right. I think people need to wake up, you know, and um, be accountable. And yeah, and voters are very lazy these days. Yes. People are, I think, much less informed now than they used to be. And a lot of people, are, as we know, are misinformed now, much more so than they used oh, to yeah. be. And the Internet's not helping, you know. Because of all the the biased reporting that that's right. not factual. Right. And what I thought was really interesting in the book is even Thomas Jefferson makes the comment about what something's in there. That's not even verified. People are grabbing a hold of it and reading it, not even verifying it or cross checking it. And it just goes wild. That's right. It comes to facts to them and blah, 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 blah. It's just, it just, it, it, it just boggles my mind that, that, that he, you know, has that insight. Yeah. That's why people think I wrote it, you know, because yeah. uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't write it. I, I, I couldn't write that well. I mean, I, I write, I think <laughs> I write well, but I don't write that way. You know, I could never come up with, with those thoughts, with a lot of, a lot of those thoughts. Did he seem, um, and I know you were going through somebody that was channeling. But when he first started speaking with you, did, did, did he seem very cooperative or was he hesitant at first? Well, he um, 
I asked him, I said, uh, I'm thinking about writing a book and asking you some questions. Do you think we have a book? And he said uh, that he did, that he would cooperate with me, I'm paraphrasing this now, uh -huh. uh, because he thought my heart was in the right place. The heart is very important to him. And he, he did a lot of analogies about the heart versus the mind. And that was something that he always had to struggle with because he was his mind was so keen. Mm -hmm. But he had to listen to his heart. And he said a lot of what he wrote came through his heart from other sources, from higher sources. And he had to allow those ideals to come through him, through his pen. But he said that he thought my heart was in the right place. And by that, I think he meant I did not publish the book to make money. Mm -hmm. I published it to make a difference. I do want a lot of people to buy it. <laughs> I want it to be talked about. But it's not about the money for me. You know what? You get the impression that like what you're saying about writing from the heart. This man had pride in, in, in the United States. He had pride in what they created. And, and it comes through in, in the way he talks and the way he, you know, when, when he talks about uh, crafting the, the, the Declaration of Independence and, and, and the different stuff, you, you can just feel that pride come through. Yes. And I asked him about other founding fathers and we, we talked about uh, Ben Franklin, but I ended with asking him about the Virginia founding fathers. They Two of them were his best friends, among his best friends, Madison and Monroe. Mm -hmm. And, of course, Madison was the father of the Constitution. You know, that it's likely we might not have even had a Constitution if he hadn't pushed for it with the Bill of Rights, particularly, which was very important. And um, so they were friends. They lived in neighboring counties. And he said that they were stalwart, that they um, uh, all had these high ideals and these great visions for a great country. And he couldn't say enough about them, about their worthiness. He was um, not as uh, sanguine about some of the others, mm -hmm. um, not as positive about some of the others. Patrick Henry, Lafayette, some of the others had greater flaws, but they all contributed. That's just so fascinating to me. And and to put this together, you had eight hours on tape, technically, yes. on a recorder. So how long did it take you to, to put all this into a, a readable format? The way it worked was I would make an appointment a week in advance with the medium. Mm -hmm. She always calls precisely on the dot that we agreed on. So when I had my personal readings, I, I would always make notes on yellow notepad. Mm -hmm. uh, because I never, even though she records the readings, I never wanted to go back and listen to an hour of recordings just for my own personal readings. So I had, I have a whole file of extensive notes on yellow pads. Mm -hmm. But for this particular project, as, as soon as I picked up the phone, I would put it on speaker. I would put it by my laptop and I would ask a question and then I would type furiously away, uh, getting as much of it as I could. Mm -hmm. And then after the session, I would go back and listen to the recording many times to make sure that I got all of the nuances and so on. Uh, I, I needed to uh, to be as accurate as I could uh, with the words that had come through. And so I had, it was probably a little more than eight hours of recordings, but um and so I started this project in March of 2020, and I finished it in July, pretty much finished it in July. I've, I've edited it. I've taken some things out of it that I thought that I added that I thought <laughs> might detract because I wanted uh, conservatives as well as liberals to find value in the book. So I tried to, not to make it political uh, for the current day. Right. To make it a more enduring. Kind of like a blanket that that could be what I you know the impression I got out of it, even with 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 what he said about writing up the Declaration of Independence was that there a lot of that stuff could, could still be applied to now. 
Yes. You know, the, the way he wrote it, because he, he wanted to make sure that, that it would go for generations. That's right. The freedoms that people right. wanted. Right. And throughout this book, freedom, freedom, freedom. That's all he talked about. And okay. um, because the freedoms that we have in the Bill of Rights, you know, they were hard fought. And, and he wrote the first religious freedom law. It, it was first passed in Virginia in 1786. And then several years later, it was incorporated in the First Amendment to the Constitution as part of the Bill of Rights. Mm -hmm. And um, so freedom of the press, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, all of these freedoms that we take for granted here were, were uh, discussed, argued, hard fought. The Constitution, I'm a Virginian, and so I know a lot of, you know, focus on Virginia history. Uh -huh. And the Constitution could have actually died on the vine here in Virginia if it hadn't been for some of Jefferson's friends and some of the people who had been taught by the man I wrote the first book about, George With. And the Constitution was ratified by a very narrow vote, 10 votes, 89 to 79. Here, if it had failed in Virginia, it would have been worthless because Virginia was the largest, richest, and most powerful state in America at the time. Wow. So we have been perilously close to disaster any number of times in this country. Did you get the impression that he was like with the university still being here and, and operational that, that he was impressed by that? I don't think he ever worried that it would go out of business. I think he's worried that it's lost its focus okay. on students. And, and so, yes, I asked him about University of Virginia, what, what he would do if he were president or what he thought of the school today. And he, and he had some criticisms, but he said, they're not just criticisms of UVA. They are criticisms of higher education in general in America, that it's gotten top-heavy, that it's gotten too expensive for the average person, that there's more focus on the institution sometimes than on the students, that outside the, the search for outside money, the need for outside money has created many compromises. And... Um, that the university is not the self-sustaining institution that he'd like for it to be. Mm -hmm. He said at UVA, there are still some faculty and students who adhere, adhere to and understand the principles that, that he had for founding that school, but that um, there's been some erosion there over time, as you might expect. And particularly today, I think with, with his, with the focus just on this one aspect of his life, on himself as a slave owner, I think that um, some of the other higher principles that he stood for are, are, are being ignored right now, and they, we need to acknowledge those. I agree. I agree 100%. Um, like you said, you, your goal with this book is, is essentially to get the word out about, you know, different things that are going on now, especially according to what he says. When you first started writing it, what, what, what was your goal? I was just curious. I didn't, you know, just going to see how far we could go with it. I had a, a number of questions and um, I didn't know how long it would take to have those questions answered. And I'm sure I could have asked more questions, but I, and it's a short book. It's, mm -hmm. it's an easy read. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to load it up, you know, too much. Right. And uh, I wanted just to stick to the essential truths, uh, to having it short and meaningful and powerful. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm sure there, I could think of other questions now, but <laughs> I think we hit most of the good ones. Oh, yeah. I thought that you, you, got, you had really great questions in there. And really, I'm telling you guys, you got to read this book, His Answers. Are, are fabulous. It's, it's so for your ra radio audience, um, yes. it's called The Metaphysical Thomas Jefferson, readings by Jana Anna, the medium. It's called A Medium Channels the Founding Father. 
and my name is Suzanne Munson, M-U-N-S-O-N. So you, so you just go on Amazon and type in the meta, meta, the metaphysical yes. Thomas Jefferson, and the book will come up. What do you say to people? Let's say you're standing out on the street somewhere, maybe Vegas, and there's a bunch of people out there that have books about the different presidents, and you want to get people to read your book. What do you say to get people to read your book? Well, there are only three ways to look at this book. And of course, there, there are always going to be the skeptics uh, mm -hmm. because char uh, mediums have, we all grew up thinking that mediums were charlatans. And it's only been in this century that they're coming into their own, that they're, mm -hmm. they're, they're being studied at the university level, the accuracy of their readings and the brain waves are different in mediums. But so I would say there are only three ways to look at the book. Uh, first, I wrote it. Second, the medium made it up. And third, we may be hearing from the soul of Thomas Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And so I can um, dispel the idea that I wrote his words because I have the recordings where I'm asking the questions and the words are not coming from me. I'm doing the typing. The second option is the medium made it up. The medium that I use, Jana Anna, majored in elementary education. She hates history. She knew very little about Thomas Jefferson. And I'm quite convinced that she couldn't come up with the very uh, historic and uh, profound. I mean, she's a smart lady, but she just didn't like history. But So I, I would doubt very seriously that she was capable of making up uh, those observations. And then the third conclusion is that we're hearing from somebody who says he's Thomas Jefferson. And I accept that, um, yeah, I did communicate with Thomas Jefferson. And, um, you know, glad I did. It's very interesting. Well, I mean, there were things in there personal about George Washington, John Adams, you know, some of the, some of the early presidents that not many people are going to know. That's right. So I asked him about several of the founding fathers, starting with with Washington. Mm -hmm. And he said that, uh, and here again, he's using a modern term. He said, in, in your terminology today, I would say that Washington suffered from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And because he not only was a general in a very bloody American Revolution, but also he had seen a lot of blood in the French and Indian War. He was a warrior, and um, and that affected him, according to Jefferson. And so Jefferson would say that sometimes he tried to. Jefferson was his vice president during the first administration. Jefferson would try to communicate with him, and he said sometimes he thought his his foot was in another place. And, um, but that he did learn from him, particularly when there were questions about military expertise. Of course, he was an authority on that. Uh, John Adams, um, they were political opponents, enemies for a while. And then in their later years, they realized that they should be friends, that they had so much in common. And so he said that... Um, Adams had a very good heart, and he thought that his sensitivities were influenced by the excellent relationship, close relationship that he had with his wife, Abigail. And those who know this period of history know that Abigail wrote a letter to him, to her husband, don't forget the ladies when you're talking about independence. We want our rights as well. And uh, But they were... Um, not only a good husband and wife team, but they were intellectual partners. And so Jefferson said that some of her influence had rubbed off on Adams, made him a better person. I'm paraphrasing some of this. Sure. Sure, sure. Yeah, because we want everybody to read this. You have to get the book because there's a lot more detail in there. He, he says a lot more things about that, about the presidents and stuff. This is just absolutely fascinating to me that, that you did this. I mean, I've gone to historic locations with, with, with my team 
for instance, you guys might know about the Moss Beach Distillery, uh, the famous blue lady that was killed there. And uh, I actually had one of my psychics on the team channel the blue lady, and I, I did a one-on-one interview with her, and it's on our website. That's why I find this so fascinating that that, that you did this with Thomas Jefferson. I just it just just you know blows me away that, that you did this. When you well, I, I wouldn't have uh, probably wouldn't have excuse me, but um, the medium gives me a reading about myself before we have a session. Right. She tries to tune in on me uh, an hour or so before we have a session, mm-hmm. and she hears words from the other side or thoughts from the other side. I don't really don't know how it works, to tell you the truth. But uh, in two sessions, right before I started this Jefferson book, she said, you were being seen as a metaphysical scribe, as a metaphysical historian. And I wrote that down because I write everything down. And But I didn't really pay any attention to it. I just thought that was interesting. Right. And then the next session, she said, you're being seen as a scribe writing down important things from people from the past. So I thought, well, that's interesting. <laughs> but I didn't do anything about it. And then just the thought came to me later, well, maybe I should be doing this. Maybe I should be contacting somebody important from the past. You know, why not Thomas Jefferson? And when you asked her to do it or attempt to do it, what was her reaction? I gave her no advanced notice whatsoever about the project. I did ask her if she had channeled historic figures before. She said she had. So when I arranged to have a session with her, and she said, who would you like for me to access? And I said, Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) So... um, she didn't miss a beat, and so she brought him in fairly quickly. Well, he—I think he knew what was going on. I think he knew right. what they. From what I've learned, we, they communicate. As soon as you leave physical form, you communicate telepathically, and um, so he had some feeling that I might be doing this. You think it's because of the other book you wrote? Because you kind of, you kind of had a possibly, with them. yeah, yeah. I had, uh, I have a great affinity for him. Uh, he, he had a difficult childhood, and um, I wrote about his mentor in a book called Jefferson's Godfather. Mm-hmm. It's about George Wythe and how he needed uh, a good adult role model because his father had died when Jefferson was fourteen. So, um, yeah, I had, I've always had an affinity for Jefferson. Interesting, interesting. So, um, how many? Because uh, you said you, you had eight hours worth of worth of tape for this that you had recorded. Did this go down all at once, or did you do it in different steps? Oh, um, I would do do them in two week two week segments. In other words, two weeks would separate each session, and that would give me time to go back and. Uh, listen to the recordings any number of times. And at the beginning of each chapter, uh, the chapters are divided by subject matter. There's a chapter on slavery, chapter on government, on the founding fathers, on the media, on foreign policy, on higher education. So I would write my own introduction for people who don't know that much about Jefferson, um, about that subject, about that um, for example, about the University of Virginia, that I went into some detail about how he had planned that. And then I got into the questions about the university. And then I did the same thing with slavery. I explained mm-hmm. why he had not freed his slaves. You know, he should right. have, but he right. didn't. But uh, but there were reasons why he didn't. Absolutely, absolutely. So that took a while for me to, to do the, the straight history part, the introduction. And it's based on uh, on um, 100% history as best as I could get it together. And uh, then, then the channeling came in after that, the second part of that chapter, of each chapter. So have you since contacted the students to, to show them this book at all? Are, are, are they oh, you mean the historians? Yeah, the historians. Sorry. 
Yeah, I sent them. Um, I didn't get a response. I did get one response back. Um, there, there was a question about one of the founding fathers. It just didn't seem right. And I, I'm not sure we got that one right. And so I, that was Aaron Burr, and I, I took him out of the book. Okay. just didn't seem right. And um, so, no, I, I expect the book will be panned by historians. Mm-hmm. And so in the introduction, I explain life after death studies, that, that um, these studies are being conducted at University of Virginia and in many university settings. But I said those who only have a 20th century reductive materialistic mindset, <laughs> these people will have trouble with this book. And I expect, uh, I expect it to be panned. And I expect some people not to like it and not to accept it. They'll f- find some reason not to like it. But um, it's got pretty good reviews so far on yeah. on Amazon. And um, I would like for anybody who reads it, who, who likes it, to post a review, if you would. That's Absolutely. very helpful for a new book. Well, the way you wrote it, it reminded me of um, The Ghost of Flight 401 book by, by John J. Fuller. Because when he went into that book and he started writing, he also was very skeptical going in. And so he had gotten these, these, these different scientists to help him from both sides of the fold, you know, so that he could have that balance in there. But the beginning of your book explains everything. But like you say, you know, you, you openly admit that people are going to pan, there's going to be a, a, you know, the skeptics that are going to pan this thing. Yes. But I mean, you know what? Who cares? The information in there is great, and if it could if it could help people of today and help the politicians of today with what's you know with what's been going on, I'm all for it. Yes. Well, in the beginning, I say um, this is either a, a work of fiction or it's a truthful account. Mm-hmm. Uh, you decide; it's up to you. But even if you can only accept it as a work of fiction, it's worth reading because. Mm-hmm. Uh, the purpose of, of this book is not to rehash past history, but to start a dialogue about America's future. Absolutely. And I dedicate the book to future leaders who we hope will form circles of integrity, as Jefferson would hope we would. You know what's interesting about it, too, is sometimes you have to look back at the past to help rebuild the future. I mean, look at attorneys. What do they do when they have a complicated case? They go to the law library. And they go back through, through through mounds and mounds and mounds of cases, and they might have something from the 30s that they're referring to, you know, during, during a trial to help people. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. So what's next for you after this project? I think that I'm going to go back to straight history. Um, I've got a, a follow-up, really, to this book. It's cool. called America's First Leadership Crisis. 1776. Uh, we we think that America was filled with men of the caliber of the founding fathers. That is not true. You can count them on two hands. Uh, most people were poorly educated, and, and a lot of people were were not in favor of a democracy. And so um, I talk about the the training of the first leaders. Jefferson was involved in that um, by uh, appointing his his law teacher is America's first law professor. Mm-hmm. And he turned his law school into the first training program for future statesmen, not just statesmen, but ethical statesmen, people with high moral principles. And that's how the country was started through this influence. So that will probably be my next book. Um, if I live long enough, I may do another metaphysical book. <laughs> <laughs> Depends on how long I live, but uh, I'm really, I've been fascinated by a colonial woman who's not well known at all, but uh, for some reason I'm very interested in her. That'd be cool. Well, I'll be the first in line for your next book, I'll tell you, because wow, that's all I can say is wow. And you guys, like I said, we gave you a taste of what's in there today. We want you to buy this book and, and, and read it. You know, you know me, I usually don't sit here and 
interesting about endorsing books or anything like that. I'll, I'll put them on the site, you know, put them up on the page and stuff. But I'm not one to to overly endorse. But this one, this one's a, a good read, especially, you know, if you're, if you're concerned about what's going on now in the political climate, this is a great read. Because if it is coming from Jefferson, it's a founding father that that that's giving the advice and giving the insight. Yes, please get a copy and send it to your congressperson. There you go. There you go. Suzanne, how can people find you? Well, I have uh, an author site. It's uh, Suzanne Munson-author.com. I'm on LinkedIn, Suzanne Munson. And um, those are the primary ways. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. Well, I thank you so much for coming on, and I would love to have you on at some point again to talk to talk about Jefferson. I just think this is so fascinating. Be happy to do that, and okay. I appreciate your having me on. Absolutely, thank you so much. Look, I got a, I got people in my chat room saying they they got to read the book, they got to read the book, they got to read the book. <laughs> so we're going to get some readers on this. Great. Okay, can you tell people how to uh, for, uh, for the radio? You know, people tell tell them how to find the book. I might okay. really don't want to work today. <laughs> Just go to Amazon and uh, books, Amazon books, and then key in the metaphysical Thomas Jefferson, and it'll come up. And my name is Suzanne Munson. And it's available in paperback, hardback, and audio. Awesome. All right, Suzanne, thank you so much. And have a good Thank rest you, Charlotte. You have a good thank one. Thank you. you. You as well. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, guys, that was Suzanne Linson. And I'm sorry I botched her name in the beginning. I'm horrible with names lately. But uh, thank you guys for coming tomorrow. Uh, we're going to have part two of our of, of the interview with Andrea Perrin of The Conjuring House. And uh, that, that's a part two of three interview. And uh, it's a very interesting interview. It's a pre-recorded interview. So I will have a link to it. I'm going to try and get it up on Facebook at 6.30. So we do everything on a schedule. But it's, it's also going to be available on YouTube at 6.30. So be sure to check it out tomorrow. Because it, it's a nice a little over an hour interview that uh, she did with me. And uh, like I said, there's going to be a part three too. Because this one goes in a totally different direction from the first one we did. Okay, so I want you guys to, to put an ear up to that. I want to thank you all for coming, and if you can find it in your heart to donate a, a few funds to us to keep, to keep us going and keep bringing guests in, that would be great. PayPal.me at California Haunts is where to do it. Um, we, yes, I'll get the five to five. I forgot about the five to five. Uh, my sister just reminded me, be sure to share this with five people. And if, if you liked it, and if you didn't like it, share it with five people anyway, because we're trying to get keep our numbers up and keep building, 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 and we're getting there. Right now, as of today, we have nine nine hundred downloads, and that's only in about two two and a half months that uh, we've been putting this out as a podcast. So we're up to nine hundred downloads. So so we're getting there. We're climbing up to that to that that that, that big thousand number. So I'm really excited about that. But when you combine that with all the views on YouTube and Facebook, we're we're well over fifteen hundred views and downloads so we're doing really good and starting to roll with this thing uh but again uh share it with five people uh, and if uh, you have enemies that you want to share it with because you don't like the show share it with them too but again uh, I, this, uh california haunts is a non-profit organization so we we don't make any money from it and um if you feel it in your heart to donate to keep us going here to pay the bills and keep the show on the air that would be great i sound like pbs i know to pay the bills that would be great that's at uh uh, <laughs> donate to paypal me dot at california haunts paypal dot paypal dot me at california haunts okay guys again thank you and I, I i will technically see you tomorrow i will be on the chat tomorrow even though i won't be live i will be on the chat tomorrow so we can all chit chat and uh thank you for coming